0: Who also loves this lady over here? How good. This is my favourite keys player of all time. She just loves the attention as you can tell. But she's just so faithful. I know Chloe since she was a a little youthling. And uh, she was too really scared to get up and play keys and stuff. And we're like, no, you are only keys player. You have to play. You've got no choice. And she just used to hide there in the shadows. But oh, my goodness, is she anointed. She is amazing. Um, and she's just such such a joy to have in our youth ministry. She's she's a nurse. Um, well, she's training to be a nurse, does some nursing work here and there. But uh, she's also like a spiritual nurse, this girl. She's incredible. She just just knows how to how to talk to people and how to, I'm just not as pastoral as, as, as Chloe. She's just good at connecting to people's hearts and being compassionate. I'm a bit harder than that. Uh, but <laughs> we're talking about our new topic is we are family. So we've had from Corey last week and Sophie the week before. And aren't they just brilliant speakers? I just love um, hearing to them talk. Um, it's just so good. So we're talking about being the family of God. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn today to Acts chapter 2 verse 41 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47. If you're one of my youthies, we're doing Trash Your Bible Challenge at the moment. So we've been reading through the book of Acts and uh, oh my goodness, we literally just finished it yesterday and there is so much content in the book of Acts. And what's awesome about the book of Acts is because that's actually what we're living in right now is the book of Acts. So definitely a must read for everyone. But Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, As anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I think this topic of we are family is so important because you know especially um, for me working with young people I hear so consistently this this theme of nobody loves me I don't belong in my family my family's broken my family doesn't care about me we live in a society and I don't believe that's just for young people I think we live in a society that's that's very fractured my family's always fighting you know all this kind of stuff and and it's really hard for us to understand and to know what family is and a lot of people growing up in broken families, and they're not enjoying being part of a family, and they're despising their family sometimes. But I just want to encourage people this morning, you know, we're living in a, in a society that's disconnected and distant. but God actually gives us a promise in his word in Romans 8 verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So God did not give you a spirit of fear, a spirit of bondage, but God gave you a spirit of adoption. And so whether your family is broken, whether your family is fighting, whether your family on earth, your um, you know, your blood-related family, you're having a difficult time with you, you don't fit in, you don't belong, God's actually got a much better um, family that you get to belong to. God's given you the spirit of adoption into his family and you get to call him Abba Father, which means Daddy God. It's a it's a close. close relationship with him. You get to have a whole new family of of people in Christ. And this is your family here today. And um, it's so cool. The family of God is represented in the church. So the disciples in Acts really represent what this means to be the family of God. And so I'm kind of going to unpack that scripture for you today that we just read before. So one of the things that it says is that they continued steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and, pe- and prayers, <laughs> not pears. We used to say that to our dad. We're like, dad, can you come and say pears? And he's like, pears, apples, bananas. Duh. Like classic dad joke. All right. So doctrine and prayers. So we need to be clear about what the family of God is. In family, there is love and there is grace, but there is also a code of conduct. There is discipline and correction. There is a way that you're meant to live and behave that you must be taught by words and also by actions. So the disciples continued steadfastly in doctrine and prayer. They were continually learning the word of God, continually praying, continually talking to God, and continually teaching each other the word of God and how to walk in his way. You know, in, in families, there's often trademark factors about a family. You know that someone belongs to a certain family because of the way that, that their philosophy, the way they behave, the way that they dress, or there's, di- there's often distinguishing factors. Or if you're part of your family, you know that there's, there's certain phrases that get thrown around or certain behaviours and attitudes. You know, in my family, one of the common <laughs> sayings was, you go to work unless you're dying or you're dead. And it's not in the extreme factor if, if you're literally like, you know, if you're really sick or something. But that's what we mean by if you're dying, you better be really sick. You better be really, you know, unwell if you're not going to show up to work. That was always <laughs> the saying in our family. So it was an expectation. If you are a Murphy, you show up to your commitments. If you've committed to something, you show up unless you're dying or you're dead because you've committed to that and you're representing our family and you're representing Jesus. So you better do a good job. <laughs> That was, that was one of the things of our family. Um, Another one was that it was an expectation that you eat at the table. Um, You sit at the table to eat dinner and you're going to talk to each other and you're going to put your phones down and you're going to have conversation. You have to sit at the table for dinner. And, uh... So what's interesting about these things is these are things that have just become normal um, things in my life. They're, they're trademarked because our parents model these things. They're really hard workers. They're really good workers. Our parents always sit at the table, you know, they put the phone down and we all talk together. And so these become normal things. But why are they normal? Because they're consistent. They're consistently demonstrated and consistently spoken about to the point that when we go out with friends sometimes, we literally confiscate our friends' phones. Because they know when we're at the dinner table, we're not on our phone, you know. So it, it's, it's things like this. So they become ingrained in you. But that's what's important because that's what it's like to be part of the Murphy family is these are our trademarks. If you're part of our family, this is how you behave. And so in the family of God, if these are our trademarks is we need to know this word because this is how we're meant to act, how we're meant to behave, how people of God do life. And so that's what the disciples did as a family they continue to talk and and set the expectation and talk about the characteristics so that people would understand and know because how can you be a christian you're adopted into a brand new family you haven't grown most people haven't necessarily grown up in the church and so if you're not constantly around these people you know and and know what the expectation is then what how else are you going to know how to act and how to walk as a believer other than the way that's been demonstrated to you in the world So it's really important as Christians that we talk about the gospel, we talk about the doctrine, we talk about the Word of God, and we pray together. Another thing is in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 to 13, it says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. So the reason why it was important to talk about the doctrine and to, to continue to be reading the Word of God as believers and to be teaching one another is because it actually talks about, we're actually, um, everyone says, oh, do not judge. They actually did not understand the scripture. The scripture actually says, first of all, in that one that is most quoted, do not judge lest you be judged. So if you're going to judge someone, then you will be judged. With the, and it says with the same measure that you judge someone, you will also be judged. So it doesn't say do not judge full stop. It says if you're going to judge, you have to know what measure you're using because that measure is going to be used to judge you. So if you're – and judging is not about pointing the finger and condemning someone. It's about helping people to to see these things in their life. Sometimes you can't see something that's going on in your life and you need someone on the outside to say, hey man, what you're doing is not right. It's going to lead you to a bad place you know, what you're doing is is not good behaviour. And so the Bible actually says we're not called to judge those outside of the church. So we're not actually meant to go around and point out sin and point out faults in people outside of the church. That's actually, it says, those outside of the church, those who are not believers, that's God's job to judge them. And it's God's job to, God's job to judge those inside the church. But as believers, we're actually brothers and sisters. We're part of a family and we're actually called to say, hey, you know, if we, if we really love each other, then we actually need to not let each other fall into a pit. We need to actually not let each other go into down a path of destruction. If we really love each other as brothers and sisters, then we should not be afraid of correction. We should not be afraid of discipline. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should not be afraid to receive that. We need to be open to receiving that because when you become a Christian, you don't become perfect. You are still tainted by the world. You're still a sinner. We all do wrong things. We have to actually give people permission to speak into our life, to be able to make a judgment of our character and say, hey, I've you know, I, because I'm your friend, because I'm a believer with you, I, I've been watching this and I've seen that, you know, that you've, you know, been watching this show or you've been indulging in this behaviour or, you, you know, you've been gossiping about this person or I can see that you're really angry about this thing and it's really starting to show, you know, let me help you. Can I pray with you? Can we walk through this together? I see you're struggling with this addiction or you're struggling with this. When you come to people in love and you bring, bring the doctrine of God, so it's not just about saying, hey, I don't like this, actually saying, hey, the Word of God says this, And this is not being reflected in your life right now. And because I love you, I want to point that out to you. And let's walk through this together. I'm not just going to point it out to you and make you feel bad. I'm going to point it out to you so we can say, hey, what can we do about this? How can I help you? Let's walk through this together. We're actually called to do this. So we need to do it, one, with a motive of love. We need to te- doc- teach doctrine because we need to know how to live our life and we need to help each other and correct each other so we can all walk in Christ together. But doing it with a motive of love because we love each other, because we're family and we want to help each other. And doing so because you have the relationship to do so. So I have specific people in my life that I say to them, you know, if I'm doing the wrong thing, tell me. And for me, I need people to be harsh. I don't want the, oh, sometimes you like, I said, no, give it to me straight. Give it to me straight. Tell me, am I being a jerk? <laughs> am I doing this wrong? Am I an angry person? Am I, you know, being arrogant or whatever? You know, give it to me straight. And you need to have those people in your life. You need to have people who will bring the word of God to you and say, hey, actually, you're not displaying a Christ-like behaviour. You're not looking like a representative of God's family right now. So... We should always be talking about the Bible and praying with our Christian friends and our Christian family. And if you're not doing that, then that's something that needs to change in your life because that's actually part of what it is to be a fa- um, part of the family of God. So, the second thing that the disciples did was so it says, doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. So, fellowship and breaking of bread. I love this part because I think we get so tied down, and and, and this is where it's a difference between religion and relationship. Christianity is not a religion. We identify as a religion for the sake of you know the secular world, so people you know understand all of that. That's how they identify us. But Christianity is not a religion. It's about a relationship. If it's a religion, it's about following rules and it's about sticking to this code of conduct. And that's why the Jewish people and the Pharisees couldn't handle Jesus because they were so used to following rules and. And saying that this, if I follow these rules, it makes me perfect. But Jesus actually said, no, it's your heart that's corrupt. So you can't change that because that's sin in your life, and you actually need my forgiveness and my grace on your life to, to bring you healing and restore you. So actually, following a set of rules is not gonna do you any good because um, you know, it's good to follow the rules, but it's not what's gonna get you to heaven, it's actually relationship with Jesus, it's his salvation. So Religion is actually not what Christianity is about. It's about Christ. It's about relationship with Him and walking with Him and learning to be more like Him and walking in His grace and His forgiveness. And so um, sometimes we, we go to this religion side and we make Christianity boring, but God's actually all about the party. You know, God is a party guy. And I'm not talking about those wild, drunken parties you see out in the world, I'm talking about awesome parties. God is about fellowship and breaking of bread. So, socialising, eating together. You see often when Jesus meets with his disciples, he sits down at the table and eats food with them. So many conversations take place with Jesus over a table eating food. That's my kind of God. Like that's that's who I want to serve is a God who loves food. Like come on, who loves food? You know, he loves to party. I remember talking with one of my friends um, because Our culture in C3 is that we eat food when we have meetings. You know, when we gather together, we eat food. At youth group, we eat food. At connect group, we eat food. When we have leaders' meetings, we eat food. It's part of who we are and what we do because it's that relational thing as well. You know, sitting down, enjoying a meal together, having fun. That's part of reflecting God. And I was telling one of my friends about this um, because I was – who was a youth leader at the time – Um, from another church. And I said, oh yeah, you know, at the time we had these youth breakfast meetings and we were eating pancakes together and we were eating toasties together and smoothies and we're having a great time. And uh, he goes, you have food at your meetings? You laugh at your meetings? We're like, yeah, we have so much fun at our meetings. And he's like, really? We just kind of sit there and, you know, we have to take notes and it's all very serious. I said, mate, Are you really following Jesus if you're not having fun in church, if you're not eating, you know? Because that's literally what God does. It's all about having a meal together. Same with communion. Jesus, you know what Jesus asks of us? He asks us to eat bread and drink wine in remembrance of him. He's like, eat these good things and remember me. Come together in communion. Communion was done around the table, you know, where people would sit down and enjoy each other's company and come together and eat and drink to remember God. How cool is that? You know? And I think we we so forsake that. We go, oh, we'll come to church on a Sunday and, and we'll just, you know, worship God and do our bit and go home and we won't see each other for the rest of the week. But discipleship and about being in the family God is about relationship and community. It's about coming together. Like I literally, some of these guys in my youth team, I see them nearly every day just about. I work with one of them. Like we see each other on the train. We see each other at work. We see each other on Fridays and then connect group during the week. And we see each other sometimes on Saturdays because we hang out in our friendship group. We see each other on Sundays at church. Like we just see each other all the time. And you think we get sick of each other. And absolutely, we know each other's flaws and some things you know we, we um, rub each other the wrong way, but we just love hanging out we just love being together and that 's what it 's meant to be. church is meant to be fun we 're supposed to enjoy each other 's company we 're supposed to go to connect groups because it 's just supposed to be it 's supposed to be a natural part of fellowship a natural part of being a disciple of God is we want to be in community we want to hang out with each other and it 's so important for people. Because when we actually come into community, the Jesus, um, the relationship you have with Jesus, rubs off on other people. It, it helps other people to grow. You can all learn and you can all grow from each other. I just think of um, who knows Mel from church. Little well, Mel, she's not here today. She's on holiday at the moment. But uh, when Mel first came to youth, she was eleven years old, and she was little. little, little. I mean, she's little, but she was like little, and she was so quiet. And she used to stand there, so I'd be like, Hi, Mel, how are you doing? My name's like Pastor Hush And, you know, we're just here for youth and it's so exciting. And she, she wouldn't say anything. She'd just look at the ground. She wouldn't look at you. She'd just, like this. Okay, Mel, cool. How's school? Nothing. And you go week after week after week, but the more that she hung around us, I don't know if you've seen her now, but Mel is crazy. She's awesome. She's not shy at all. Like, she speaks to people. She runs after random strangers in the street who've got a dog because she wants to pat them. Like, you know, she's like, oh, can I pat your dog? She would never do that. She didn't speak to people before, but now she speaks in front of our youth ministry. She passes our young people. She runs kids' church sometimes and, and in youth and all this stuff, like, Fellowship and relationship and community is important to get around each other because we bring out the best in each other. Can you imagine where some of us would be if we didn't have this community, if we didn't have people pushing us out of our comfort zone and drawing out the gold in each other? That's what it's about, fellowship and relationship. The third thing is the disciples It said they had all things in common and divided their things amongst anyone as they had need. A key characteristic of the kingdom of God is Generosity. God has displayed this so well to us. He's given us everything. It says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. If we want to love people like the family of God, then we are generous people. We're generous people we give, just as God gave. He's given us everything. It literally says in the Bible that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There is nothing that God withholds from us. It's so amazing. But it's a key character trait of God's family. And honestly, I can tell you when you get generosity of God on the inside of you, it becomes addictive. Like you, at first it can be a bit tentative, like, oh, you know, I've only got a couple of dollars or I've only got this much money. And you feel God going, no, you you should give. You should buy that coffee for that person or you should, you know, sponsor that child or you should, you know, give more to the offering or whatever it is that God's prompting you in, in your generosity. And you're like, oh but but and you give and you're like whoa that felt good that was kind of cool and 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 the more that you give you just start to see the smile on people's face and the joy and and when people come to you and you go and they go wow thank you so much you you don't even know how much that means to me and they tell you this whole long story about all this stuff that happened to them and they're worried about their finances or something and you were just obedient to God and being generous and you just thought oh yeah it's like five bucks it's ten bucks but it's an answer to someone's prayer. It means the world to someone. You just bless someone's life. It's just incredible. Like I was talking about this with my sister the other day and we're saying we have a generosity problem to the point that (laughs) we keep saying we need to save for a home um, because I'm like 24 now and I'm like, oh, if I move out. I've got, I don't really got a lot of savings. So I've had to get to this point where I put a separate savings account in a different bank so I can't see it. Because the moment you see you have money, then you just kind of feel... But they don't have something, and, and you feel like this God prompt, and you're like, God, why do you always want me to give everything away? Like, but it's it's so good. I mean, the fruit of the spirit is self control, so maybe I need some more of that. But honestly, like when you're generous, it's just so good, and it's a and why do you think God gives? Is because He loves people, and if you've got the love of God on the inside of you, then you just can't help but give. And you know, you don't have to be as reckless in your spending, but when we re- give, we reflect God. And um, I just see this generosity displayed in my youth leaders. Like they're some of the most generous people I know. They just they give, they're so generous with their time but they're so generous with their money. They they give money to feed these kids at Connect Group. They give money to petrol to drive them around to all the different houses we go to at the end of the youth night to drop kids home. They give money to sponsor kids to go to conferences. They give money. They pay money themselves to go to conferences and camps. They don't get sponsored to go to these events. They give up days of work to go there, and it's just amazing just seeing that. And they just love people. They just want to bless these young people, these um, kids, by just giving. And I think that's just so awesome because it just reflects the the, um, the generosity, the heart of Christ. You know, I see this in the life of, I just really want to bring this point home because it's so important characteristic of God. I see this um, in the life of Sophie. she hate me like talking about her, But honestly, Sophie's like one of the most generous people I know. She's like, she's in the good sense, like she actually is prepared Forgiving, giving, unlike myself, where she actually like puts money aside specifically so she can bless people. And I think, wow, that's just incredible. Um, and I just remember this one in particular, like that there's this girl from Canada that came down and we made friends with her a couple years ago that came to this church and, and she was kind of struggling with her relationship with God. And she's like, I don't really know what I want to do. And then she decided, oh, I want to go to Bible college. I want to go to C3 college in Sydney, but I don't have any money to do that. And so she was just kind of talking about it with people. And and then I find out she's going to college. And I was like, what? That's so cool. Anyways, I talked to her a couple months later and I meet her at a conference. And I was like, how'd you end up going to college? What happened? She was like, she won't want me to tell you this, but Sophie paid for me to go to Bible college. And I was like, what? Like, that's not cheap. And she just blessed her though. She just was prepared to give. I think, wow, isn't that incredible generosity? And Sophie supported me as well. I went through a season of three months without work. And Sophie threw threw money at me as well. And I was like, no, but I just had it appear in my bank account. And same with uh, Chloe but she's an incredibly generous girl too. I just remember going through this, I was on this week and I had literally, it was actually my birthday and I had $1 left in my bank account because I still hadn't um, gotten like a stable job yet. I was like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do but this is like the worst birthday ever. And and I get this birthday card from Chloe, my birthday and I open it up and all this money just pours onto my lap. And I thought, wow, isn't that incredible? Just when I needed it. She didn't know, but God knew and and used her generous heart, you know, to be able to bless me in that time. And I just want to say that... It is the character and the heart of God. You know, we have been blessed so we can be a blessing. I just think God has given us all these things, not so that we can hold them to ourselves. God absolutely wants to bless your life, but He also wants to bless people through you. And the Scripture says it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is a characteristic of God. All Jesus did when He came was give of His time, give of His resources, give of His love, give, give, give to people. And it's so Good. Like Corey was saying before, we can't rely on money. We can't put our trust and our hope in it. So what's the point of clinging onto it like it's the most precious thing? You know, if we had a, if our dollar changed value, then all the money in the world it wouldn't matter. It'd be worth nothing. It, it, that's all it takes. But why don't we just while we have things? And I'm not just saying just money because I know sometimes it is. It is, can be a financial strain and things like that. But give of your time. Give of your love. Give of you know. Just be generous to people. And that's how we display the characteristic of God. And I just want to ask you actually in that, can you be identified as a generous person? If not, if that's something you struggle with and you you don't think that you can be identified as that, maybe that's something that you need to go home and and think about as well. Is God, you know, even if I have something little, what can I do with what I have? How can I make a little bit of room in my budget? Or how can I make a little bit of room in my time and my schedule to be able to be generous and bless others? The fourth thing is continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So one accord, if a number of people do something in one accord, they do it together at the same time because they agree that it should be done. You know, as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to stand together. We're supposed to fight together. We're supposed to um, encourage one another and support one another. We're supposed to be brothers in arms. We're supposed to stand back to back and defend each other and, and stand together. We're supposed to be in one accord and in agreement with each other. And this is not something that we always see. You know, I've got two stories that I really want to share about this because I, I really want to point out the importance of unity. I think sometimes as well, like, you see, we've got all these different denominations of the church, but at the end of the day, we all believe the same thing. We believe the same God. We express it differently. But we need they are our brothers and sisters in Christ too. And we need to love them and we need to stand with them and support them. Their wins are our wins too, you know. And one accord is so important. And I'll share two stories why I think this is important is one is, is Israel Folau. The reason why one accord is so important is because who wants to join a family? Who wants to join a family where when things get tough, people backstab you and throw you to the side, pretend like you don't matter, pretend like they don't know you. When the Israel Folau case came out, he posted a, I don't want to get political here, this is, this is about the church, but he posted a scripture Um, you know about stating about all these these different people and they're going to go to hell and he got blasted as a homophobe and all this kind of stuff the scripture is actually a scripture it is in the bible that he posted and what he actually said if, if people actually took the time to read it they picked out one thing the media picked out one thing and blasted him for it they twisted his words they twisted what he put out there and they shamed him What it actually was, was a scripture from the Bible that actually stated not just one group of people, but all people are condemned to hell because we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But what he also wrote, which they didn't even mention either, was that, but Jesus saves. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus can save everyone. Everyone is condemned, but everyone can be saved. That's actually what he wrote on this post. However, as we know, he got dragged through the mud for that. But what was the worst thing about that situation is I understand the media dragging him through the mud. I understand that. But to see when you have interviews on TV of Christians, of bishops and popes and pastors and, you know, other Christians standing on the media and saying, we don't agree with this guy. We don't don't side with him. We're disowning him. We're better than him. He's horrible. All that kind of stuff. That's what breaks God's heart. Because that is the same Bible that he quoted from, Is the same Bible these people read and, and claim to believe and stand by and preach and teach from is the same as what this guy stood up for and they rejected him for it, threw him under the bus and disowned him. I so said, how is that the family of God? How is it the family of God when times get tough that we go, oh, I want to cut off from you because it makes me look bad? That's not the family of God. The family of God is, hey, we all believe the same God, and yeah, we're going to get persecuted for our faith because Jesus actually says in the Bible, you will be hated. And if that's not in your Bible, you need to get a new Bible and you need to read that because that's literally what he says. You'll be hated because of me. But when we're hated because of Jesus, we need to stand behind these people. We need to get behind them and pray for them. We need to support them, not disown them. And can I tell you for a lot of people out there, they were very confused. Because I had a lot of conversations with people that don't that people that don't believe in Jesus and are not Christian, and they said, "I don't understand because some people are saying what he did was right and some people are saying what he did was wrong. Some people said it was from the Bible and other people didn't." But all these people are Christians, so aren't they supposed to to believe the same thing. And I said, Yeah, you're right. We're supposed to believe the same thing. We're supposed to stand together. We're supposed to be in one accord and united and supporting each other. But all we did was have two sides. All we did was say, Hey, I I support him or I don't support him. But as Christians, we don't have to support the way it was done or anything, but our fellow believer under attack, you know, we're called to stand behind each other, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's, you know, in in the public spotlight, that's not going to be one that happens as often, but we've got to stand together and be in one chord, be unified, be a strong family, stick up for each other, support one another. You know, another example that's a bit closer to home was in Adelaide. When I was about 11 years old, there was a there was a famous... Um, Christian songwriter and worship leader, he did m- massive songs that went all around the world for Planet Shakers and other, other things. And basically what happened was this guy, in the peak of his um, time in ministry, he, uh, he came out saying, Oh, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And he went through this whole, this whole phase of, of having this cancer and it turned out maybe about after a year or so of, of keeping up this facade that he didn't really have cancer but it was a cover up for a pornography addiction that he had. And obviously that went, this um, poor guy in the sense that he was in the spotlight, it went all over the nation, all over the news, all over the world, shaming and and you know, this guy. And obviously what he did was not wrong because he lied to a lot of people. I was wrong, sorry, because he lied to a lot of people. It wasn't good. And, and he did something that was really bad and he was covering up his sin. And that's not good at all. And I remember being 11 and I came to youth and I was so angry because I looked up to this guy and I thought, how can you do that as a Christian? How can you lie to all those people? How can you do this thing? And I was raging. My youth pastor stopped me and he said, Ash, Aren't you a sinner too? He said, like, "Yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do what he did. That's just wrong." And he goes, "Yeah, but what you did to Jesus that was wrong too." I said, like, "Oh, okay." And he goes, "You know, God has forgiveness. This poor guy. You know what he did was wrong, and it's awful, and and absolutely he needs to be corrected for that. Absolutely, you know, he needs to accept the consequences for his actions, but." As a church, we shouldn't be turning on him. As a church, we shouldn't be degrading him. As a church, we need to pray for him because it's a brother, it's a brother in Christ who is hurting. It's a brother in Christ who is in pain. It's a brother in Christ who has been shamed. It's a brother in Christ who's suffering with this addiction that he's been trapped in and he couldn't get out of. Can you see how much, and he said to me like, can you see how much he's hurting that he had to cover his sin with this facade of, of this cancer thing? And I thought, oh, wow, you're right. And so we got together as a youth ministry and we prayed for this guy. And, you know, we just prayed that God would turn his life around, would help him and bring him out. And I didn't really follow the story and I didn't really hear much about it afterwards. But then I think it was last year, um, we went to see, we went to this church where this guy came from. So this is so many years later, like 12 years later or something. And we went to this church where this this guy um, used to worship lead and all this stuff. And I hadn't heard anything about him for ages. And we went there to see um, John John Bevere come and speak. And we're like, wow, this is so exciting. But it came into the time of worship. And who was worship leading on that stage? Was that same guy. Was that same guy that had been through all of that, that had done that. And why was that? Because his church didn't abandon him. Some people did. I definitely heard about that. But they actually supported him. They prayed for him. I know his dad prayed for him consistently. They supported him. They worked with him. And he got him back to this point where he was healed and he was restored. He was set free from his addiction. And he's back on stage worshipping God. And I can tell you that was one of the best worship sessions I've ever been in. God heals and God restores but that's what the family of God is about and I'm not condoning his actions in terms of what he'd done but God has forgiveness for everyone and as a church we're supposed to be unified, we're supposed to do things in one accord, we're not supposed to throw our brothers and sisters out and just say oh you did the wrong thing, I'm just abandoning you. You know there is some situations where sometimes you do need to cut people off because despite correction and things like this they don't want to change. They they are refusing to recognise and refusing to accept that. That's a different story. But when you've got a brother or sister in Christ who's actually broken in their spirit and accepts what they've done is wrong and they're seeking forgiveness, they're seeking a turnaround in their life, we need to stand with them and support them. We need to get behind them because God can do incredible things like He did in this guy's life. And can I tell you, I nearly began to ball my eyes out. I don't even know this guy, except that I'd seen I'd seen what he'd been through and seen that whole situation when I was. 11 years old, and to see how God had restored him, I thought, wow, that's the body of Christ. That's the family of God. Because he couldn't have done it on his own. He needed people around him, holding him up. But that's the family of God, and this is what we need to do. In tough times, and difficult times, we come together, we stand together in one accord, unified, supporting each other. And the last thing it says, the Lord added daily to the church those who are being saved. It says in John 13, verse 34 to 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The title Christian was given to the disciples disciples of Jesus by non-believers. It wasn't a self-proclaimed title. It was a title given to them because other people recognised Jesus on their life. They recognised the way they behaved. They recognised the way that they loved people, the way that they lived differently, the radical lifestyle that they had. They recognised it on them. And I truly believe when it said the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved, it was because people saw these guys are a family family. They work together. They love hanging out with each other. They're generous to one another. They're generous to the community. They just spend time together and just, you know, they're just this beautiful family in a world that, that that is broken, in a world that is messed up, in a world that has no direction. And then you see these people who just come together despite their differences. There's fishermen. There's tax collectors. There's people that are hated in society and people who are loved, people that used to be these high-up priests associating with people who were considered worthless. You know, they're all coming together. Why? Why would these people associate with each other? Why would these people love each other? Why would these people support each other, be generous, be kind? Why would they want to eat with each other? What's different about these people? Who would not want to be part of a family like that? Who would not want to be part of this place where you can be included no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, that you can be supported to come through your struggles, to work through these things, that you can just have fun and enjoy life with one another despite any bad things going on in your life that these people just get behind you and encourage you. It says, by this, by the love that you have for each other that people will know that you are my disciples. People know you for your passionate love for Jesus. Isn't it recognizable that you are part of his family by the way that you act, the way that you behave, the way that you relate to other Christians, the way that you support each other, the relationships that you have? The five things with doctrine and prayer. Super important that we pray and we read the word of God. Food and fellowship. Eating together, enjoying each other's company, socialising, getting to know each other. Generosity. We need to love and to give. One accord, being unified in Christ and standing with and for one another. And loving each other is what builds the family, is what makes people attracted to being part of the family of God. So just ask everyone in this place just to close your eyes. Just in respect for anyone that's around you. My first question I just want to ask today, if there's anyone here in this place that, you know, that you've never had a relationship with Jesus before, you've never known what it's like to be part of the family of God, but you thought, hey, that's pretty cool. I want to be part of this family. I want to know this love that Jesus has. I want to know this love that God has for me. I want to be adopted in. I want to call Him Father. I want to have this new family, if that's you today and you want to ask Jesus to come into your life, I just want you to raise your hands in this place and I'd love to pray with you. And maybe there's someone here in this place today, you've had a relationship with God, but it's been a religious relationship where you felt you'd need to follow all the rules and tick off all the boxes. you didn't understand that actually being part of God's family is fun it's about relationship, it's about knowing Jesus it's about following after Him it's about being community with His disciples, with your brothers and sisters in Christ if you have had a relationship if you haven't had a relationship with God but have been following that set of rules and today you're like hey I want to step into relationship with God, I just love you with every eye closed in this place just to lift your hand and I'd love to pray with you as well We just want to stand to our feet in this place. We're just going to go back into a time of worship. But maybe you're struggling in any of these areas. Trust me, I don't got them all perfect either. I don't think anyone can. It's a constant thing that you've got to work on. Don't be isolated. Connect into the body of Christ. But today, if there's any of those areas that, you know, that you really want to work on, come forward, come to the altar, let God work on your heart. We'd love to pray with you. And, you know, literally if there's anything that you need prayer for, you know, be an altar junkie. Just come to the front, just come to God and let Him work on those things in your heart. Whatever it is that you need prayer for, come to Jesus. We'd love to, we've got an awesome bunch of ladies here that would love to pray for you. We're just going to come back into this time of worship.